So today's episode, we've got a fantastic author, David E. Feldman, who most notably is known for his Dora Ellison mystery series books, but he has got other books and ghostwrited many other books as well. Outside of this, he plays piano pretty much professionally and does this in assisted living homes. So thank you very much for being on the show, David. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So if you just want to explain to the guests a bit about you and, and the books that you've written and essentially what you're trying to get across to the readers. Sure. Thank you. Uh, well, uh, as you say, I've written the Dora Ellison Mystery Series, which is six books, really seven books, because there's a prequel, which is free on my website uh, so far. And the 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 sixth book, six, which is really the seventh book, not to be confusing, uh, comes out on my birthday, February 21st. So that's a mystery series. And it, it stars a female couple who are both detectives and lovers. Um I've also written a book called The Neighborhood, which is a standalone novel about the town I grew up in, Valley Stream, New York, which in the 70s, when I was growing up there, was 100% white. And the book is about four families who live there, one of whom is the first family of color to move to the town and what happens when they move to the town. So it's a book about racism uh, and really transition, uh, uh, transcending, I should say, racism Um Many of my books are about trend, uh, uh, transcending issues and dealing with challenging issues. I have myself have been through some really rough health issues. I had cancer last year. I, I've had uh, addiction issues and depression. And, and here I am, you know, and, and so I, I give some of those challenges to my characters and uh, watch them work it out and and they help me work it out and I help them work it out it's kind of a two-way street with my books I was going to say that is, is that something that's really helped you to when you are writing it helps you to not only write the stories and make them interesting through overcoming challenges etc but also to as you said help with your own life because I know when I wrote uh, I wrote a few books as well or wrote a book with the second on its way as well and you you surprise yourself with how much you learn about not only yourself, but other things as well. Do you, you feel that that's really helped in terms of your writing style and also the content within the books as well? It's 100% true. Um, I didn't set out to do that with my writing. I fell in love with uh, writing as a reader growing up. I was a bit of a troublemaker and I didn't go to school very much. I, I cut school and I went to shoot pool and play. Pinball was a big deal back then in, in, in the 70s. And uh, I didn't go to school as much as I should, but I love to read. I always love to read. And I fell in love with with uh, certain authors, first science fiction and then John Steinbeck and all kinds of things, Kurt Vonnegut. And um, I wanted to become a writer. So I didn't set out to to um, deal with personal issues or political or social issues, for that matter, which which are in my books as well. That just sort of happened. And I suppose it happened as I ran into some of these issues in my own life and in my family's lives, uh, they started to show up in my books and I gave them to my characters. And, you know, uh, my, in a way, my characters seem to write themselves. I didn't set out to write a mystery series about two women who are, who are in love. I just set out to write a mystery series. And then these women showed up and, and, and in a way they tell me what to write. I don't, it's sort of a mysterious process. Yeah, I think with, with murder mystery books, especially, they are quite complicated, aren't they? In terms of you are 
setting red herrings up. You are you've got di different character arcs, and you need to make it engaging for the readers. How did you go about doing that? Did you reverse engineer the storyline? Is it something that you sort of ad libbed to an extent? How how did you go about doing that? It's a great question. Um, so one of the things I did along the way is, as I said, I I read a lot, and um, you know, as a child, I read science fiction and, and John Steinbeck. And then in more recent years, I read a lot of mysteries. And I fell in love, for instance, with Lee Child and his Jack Reacher books. Um, and, you know, the way I, I don't think I knew what I was doing at first. I read some books about writing mysteries, and that helped to some extent. And then I just set about writing them. And, I, and what I do typically is I start with the murder. And these are usually murder mysteries. Some mysteries are about thefts or um, all sorts of other crimes. Mine are about murders of some one sort or another. And I start with what's the crime and who did it and and why did they do it? Because I think those those really root the story. And um, then I, I, I take a look at how will the detectives approach the story? Who is investigating the story? Uh, you know, in my first book, Dora Ellison, who's my main character, is not the person investigating the murder. She is in love with a police lieutenant named Fran Francesca or Franny Hart. And Franny Hart is getting phone calls uh, from a disguised voice saying, you've got to look into this uh, quote unquote murder that wasn't a murder. And Franny Hart looks into it and she is in love with Dora. She's that's the love interest. And Dora is is a garbage collector. Uh, and but something happens to Franny and that sets Dora in motion. And she decides to she doesn't decide. She's compelled to look into what happened and uh, avenge what happened to Franny. I'm kind of maybe saying too much here, but but um so I start I start with the murder. I then uh, move to who is investigating it. And then I do, as you say, have to start laying out red herrings, false clues and lead the reader in all sorts of directions early in the book and then lead the reader into some false direction later in the book that seems like it's going to be the main solution, but typically isn't. And, and there have to be some big surprises and twists along the way. Yeah, I mean, for me, as you said there, with regards to red herrings and 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 and, and twists, etc. For me, the best films, and this isn't always the case, but those that keep me most compelled to continue to watch or continue to read are those that have uh, psychological elements that keep you interested, that keep you excited, that uh, ensure that you're not too sure as to which way the story is going to go next. And I think that with with murder mysteries and that type of genre, it is definitely something that that grasps the attention of the readers. How did you utilize the main character to ensure that that continues to be the case throughout the, the six book series? Because at the end of the day, it's easy to well, not easy to write a book. It's easier to write a book. It's more difficult to write two, three, four, five, six books that are part of the same series of novels how did you m manage to create a strong character because i think it's always important to do that and also keep the arc consistent throughout the books sure uh well so so i i did a few things um 
I think it's very easy to create a kind of Sir Galahad sort of, or or uh, a, a female version of Sir Galahad, who is sort of kind of a white knight kind of character, who is, uh, you know, all good and no bad and doesn't have any faults, but that's not so interesting. So, so what I did was I created a damaged, uh, main character. Dora Ellison is someone who grew up around abuse. She witnessed her father beating up her mother and she tried to stop him, but she couldn't stop him because she was a little girl, you know? So uh, she has that kind of in the back of her mind and deep in her soul all the time. And what that's done is it's fueled a kind of rage against bullies. She runs into bullies uh, in every book, uh, kind of minor bullies early in every book and uh major bullies the uh you know the 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 book's major villain later on in every book and uh she teaches them a lesson and i think none of us likes bullies you know i think even bullies don't realize that they're being bullies uh you know and and whether we are being cut off in our car on, on the road, on the street, or someone's uh, taking our parking spot, or or they have too many items on the uh, express line in the supermarket. We don't like it when people do things that aren't fair. And, and maybe in the back of our minds, for many of us, we'd like to do something about it. But of course, we live in a society that has laws and police and so forth. And, and we've grown up and been taught not to do, uh, you know, not to just punch someone in the face because we think they're doing the wrong thing. Well, D Dora isn't bound by those sorts of things. I mean, she's bound by laws, of course. And she does something about bullies when she runs into them. So I think that makes for an interesting main character who does various things during all the books. And what I've done, you, you asked what I've done to sustain the arc. So there's a few things there. Um, you know, Dora is in love with Franny Hart. And, and as the book goes along, uh, Franny's no longer really part of the story uh, by the end of book one. And she runs into a librarian named Missy Winters. Missy, and I'm, by the way, I'm a big fan of librarians. I'm a big fan of books. Uh, and the U, I don't know how it is in the UK, but in, in, in the US, uh, libraries really level the playing field between uh, the rich and the poor in, in terms of access to information. You know, you can go to your library and, and you go to your library online and research information via databases. And my degree, my advanced degree is a master's degree in library science. So I'm a big fan of librarians. And Missy Winters becomes sort of uh, the Watson to Dora's Sherlock Holmes, or maybe it's even the reverse, I don't know. Uh, but Missy Winters uh, seeks out and finds and develops theories and information about the crimes. And so that relation, and she uh, slowly falls in love with Dora and vice versa. And that happens over the course of several books. So the character, the arcs, as you say, develop, we have arcs that are within each book, but we have arcs that are between the books. And I also have a cast mm -hmm. of other characters who come together and fall apart and live and die. And, and, and some have addiction issues, you know, <clears throat> I'm sober many years and um, and I have characters, several, a father and son who have um, alcohol and drug issues. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, and um, 
they struggle with those issues, you know, in, in between the books and over the course of many books. Yeah, I think it's very important to to make it realistic in, in terms of it. when when there's challenges. You mentioned it earlier on, uh, you know, through that part that Dora uh, stands up to bullies and then she stands up to sort of the, the big general at the end. You know, with regards to video games and in people's own lives, they have to take challenges and steps, don't they? They have to first start going to the gym. Then they have to set new goals. And it sounds to me like, with Dora especially, she is taking on challenges within each book and long term that ensure that she develops as, a, as an individual. And I think that that's you know quite important to to make it relevant to the readers because everyone in their own life is going through something that they want to overcome, and it, it's nice to have a character that people can relate to. Um, do you think that there is other characters within the book as well that have relative uh, actions that would fall in line with the readers, or is it mainly Dora in, in, in this example? Well, I would say it's Dora more than anyone else. Um, Dora finds out in book one that she's a natural at mixed martial arts. I'm a big fan of martial arts, and, and I did a little bit of martial arts in the 90s, and um, I did a bit of boxing before that. And I, I, I'm a fan of contact sports and, and I follow them uh, and she follows them. And at first, that's all that happens is she follows them. And, and Franny says to her, 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 her lover, Franny says, you know, you love them so much. There's a league forming. Why don't you go down to the league and, and check it out for yourself? Because Dora, uh, um, because she is a garbage collector, she's immensely strong from picking up these big garbage bins and flipping them over into the back of the truck. She's very, very physically strong. That's a hard job being a garbage collector. And uh, she does go down and to this league that's forming and she, she beats everyone, uh, even the instructor. And she becomes an instructor there. And it's something that comes up in every book. And, um, you know, late in book one, she finds herself face to face with this killer. And he says, you know, with martial arts is only going to take you so far. This is the real deal. And she she deals with that. She she figures out what she can do because she's not in the cage. She's not in a boxing ring on the street. If you're fighting for your life, there are things you can do that are not allowed in, in martial arts and, and, and she's perfectly fine with doing them. But she also, uh, you know, uh, to your point, she suffers the consequence, something that I'm writing right now. I'm writing um, uh, book six, book five is coming out on my birthday, February 21st. And all of these books, by the way, can be found uh, either on Amazon or uh, davidefeldman.com, my website. Um, she uh, runs into a villain who is pretty much her equal in uh, book four. Book four? Book five. Um, at the end of book five and she has a very hard time and she's in bad shape at the end of, of the book and early in book six uh, which I'm writing right now I'm, I'm just starting it right now she's dealing with and Missy is helping her deal with the trauma I mean if you got into a, a real you know life or death fight on the street you know as fun as that might be in a video game or in a movie or even in or in a book um 
there's trauma that comes from these things, you know, uh, uh, and she grew up with trauma and now she's suffering the trauma of this very violent uh, altercation that occurs at the end of the previous book. And so now in the next book, she's dealing with the trauma and, and, and Missy is helping her cope, kind of nursing her through the trauma. And so I, I, I like to have these things ring true in a sense, you know, uh, it, it's all well and good for uh, Jack Reacher to, um, you know, to have a, a knockdown drag out fight with seven guys in a book, all of whom are trained in martial arts and they're all huge and he beats the hell out of all of them. And, and he does get kicked around, you know, but but he's got he's going to uh, if we're going to be true to life suffer some consequences and um actually lee child does write that in his books you know jack reacher does have scars from shrapnel and and he does you know have broken ribs from time to time so so i think that's important to include in a book because it's what we would expect in real life and uh i think um connecting to characters pain is a great way to connect readers to characters in an ongoing way yeah, I think it's good that when you have got a hero or a heroine that is the protagonist of a book or a film or any story for that matter, it's good that they have flaws and, and they aren't invincible. Because I think, as you said there, you know, with regards to the trauma, it's it's very difficult to, to respect a storyline where there's no issues with the protagonist. The protagonist, just everything goes swimmingly. There's no issues. There's no divorces. There's no injuries. There's no trauma there's no adversity at all and i think from what you're saying is that that helps keep the book human to an extent absolutely yeah it does and and i also add in other things that that keep the book uh human one of the bullies she runs into uh i think it's in book three is uh she, she's driving along with with missy and she sees a guy who's beating his dog and she pulls over, jumps out of the car, uh, teaches the guy a lesson physically, beats the guy up and takes the dog. And I'm a big fan of dogs. I have um, actually during COVID have got my first dog and my wife and my children's first dog ever, but my first dog in 50 years. Um, and uh, we're in love with this dog. And lots of people are in love with their dogs. Who loves you more than your dog? So um, Dora and Missy are dog people and Dora has this dog. And when she's hurting, the dogs nurture her. You know, the dogs are very loving and, and they're aware of her pain. And that's something that's part of life, you know. So so I try to add um, I, I try to build relationships around pain and around challenges in life uh, that really reflect uh, things that'll occur in in my readers' lives as well. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, dogs. Absolutely, everyone loves dogs, don't they? They're fantastic. Um, I've got a boxer myself. What breed have you got? I've got a Yorkie. He's, he's oh Yorkie, he's Yorkie Terrier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's wonderful. Yeah, he he thinks he's the mayor, and he thinks he's a big shot. He thinks he's a tough cookie. But uh, then he'll he'll see a shadow, or he'll see someone out on the street. My neighbor will come out the front door, and he'll go running into the house. So and he'll go hide. Uh, so he's an, he's an interesting character, uh, but we're absolutely in love with him. And and um, actually, one of the dogs in the book, uh, my Yorkie is is called a, ch a chocolate Yorkie because he's brown. And um, Missy's dog is a chocolate Yorkie called Comfort because he really is a comfort. And um, I, I I really 
have my dog, my dog Boo's Boo Bear's uh, personality reflected in comfort. So, in terms of your your readers, then, um, what is your major demographic? In terms of uh, murder mysteries generally, it's generally seen that they are for people with high IQ or or require high stimulation because the the the, the stories themselves can be quite complex. It's not like you know Bill walks down the shop. Who walks to the shop, gets himself a can of soda or coke, and walks back. It's a much more complicated and intricate design. So, um, can you just talk a bit, a little bit, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit about your demographic, both ideal demographic and actually the demographic of people who actually purchase and read your books? Yeah, that's a great question too. Um, it, it was not my intent to start out writing for anyone in particular. I've been reading murder mysteries. You know, I'm in my 60s and I've been reading them since I was in my 30s. And, you know, I'm male and uh, I'm not a person of color. And so I had intended to write them for just about everyone. And I've written characters who are all sorts of people. I have uh, many people who have many different backgrounds who are uh, Latinx, who are black, who are uh, from the islands. Uh, I have a woman who uh, becomes the mayor of the city, which is a reflection of my own city, uh, Long Beach. Their city is called Beach City, uh, who is a, uh, a devout evangelical Christian and has certain ideas that uh, you'll find that many uh, evangelical Christians have. And and I love her, you know, and, and, and uh, she behaves in, in the ways you might expect someone with those beliefs to behave. Um, so I didn't set out to write for any demographic, but of course, my books are uh, read more by certain groups of people than others. And I get to, I can see that when I run uh, Facebook ads. Facebook will tell me who is reading the books. And what I have found is that far and away, uh, most of my readers tend to be older women. I don't know why that is. Um, I, I I just don't know. I, I maybe because younger women are doing other things and and men are doing other things, or maybe they like different sorts of books, uh, and and maybe other mysteries. Maybe Jack Reacher's, you know, Lee Child's Jack Reacher books are read by more men. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. For, to me, that's a mystery. But I do find that my books tend to be read more by older women, particularly women in their 60s or, or 50 and over and even 60 and older. It's, it's a big difference in demographics. At least that's, you know, that's who's clicking on my ads on Facebook in terms of who's actually reading the books. I don't really know, but that's that's my window into that information. Do you think that maybe it's down to the protagonist, the protagonist being female as well? Might be. It might be. I, I had sort of assumed that I might have uh, readers who might be gay, um, you know, because my my main characters are lesbian. I don't know. And and, and I sort of wondered, well, would, would I was a little concerned that you know, I'm writing about characters who are of all sorts of demographics. And I was a little concerned that people from those demographics or who are of those demographics themselves might say, well, gee, you know, how can you write about a gay woman? You're not a gay woman. You're an aging white guy, you know. 
Um, or I have in book two, you know, the majority of my characters, uh, at least the ones surrounding the mystery in book two, I still have Dora and Missy, um, but the people involved in the mystery are black. Um, and, and would some folks who are black say, well, gee, you're a white guy. How can you write about, about black people? And my answer to all of that is I don't write about black people or gay people. I write about people. I write about people and people are people. We all have feelings. We all, you know, I'm not writing from a historical perspective at all. I can't, that, that I cannot do. I, I did, you know, I, I, I was not involved in in certain kinds of protests for certain kinds of issues. I, I'm not of a certain demographic, but I do have a lot of compassion and I do my best to write each person as an individual human being and not necessarily as a member of a particular demographic, even though they might actually be black. So I, I, I do my best to be careful and compassionate, uh, um, you know, when it comes to writing the different people. Yeah, I just think that you don't have to be of a certain race, religion, creed to be able to maybe understand how they would think. You know, that's the whole point in being empathetic as human beings, isn't it? We can't we can understand how kids feel, we can understand how certain groups feel, and we can understand how other genders the other the other gender will, will feel. So I don't think that you necessarily have to be that specific person to be able to write about that person because otherwise JK Rowling would you know, how would she be able to write about wizards and, and witches because she's not one? So that's right. That's right. And she has an imagination. I have an imagination. Um, my books would be pretty boring if I was only writing about 65 year old white guys in, you know, Long Island, New York. It, it would be, you know, it would be silly. It would be very constricting for me. That's for sure. And I, I uh, for me, the great thing about writing is I get to do anything and go anywhere and travel places. You know, I do a bit of research and then I do the best I can to write uh, creatively and in a in a way that's fun to read about all sorts of people. So, yes, I, I, I think, you know, we we're free to use our imaginations. God gave gave us imaginations and we're, we're here to use them. You know, I also write about social issues. You know, I, I do have, um, you know, addiction comes up quite a lot in my books because it's something that I have had uh, be a part of my life. Uh, in one book, uh, the focus is on um, people who identify as various genders or non-binary. I have, uh, you know, that's an issue. You know, issues that are in the news typically crop up in my books, but not necessarily in ways that you expect. You know, you, you may think that a person who has this background would react to that issue in a certain way, but it's not necessarily the case. People are more complicated than, um, you know, we give them credit for, and people have all sorts of views, and I find that to be interesting. Uh, although I don't really, I don't have much in the way of actual politics in my book, but I have issues that come up in the daily course and in the uh, arc in the course of the arc of the story uh, I have all sorts of issues that come up and and uh, are dealt with by by different characters so in terms of your new book then that's coming out what in in roughly a month's time is it a divisive storm I'm sorry is your new your new book that's coming out next month um a divisive storm uh no no that's the book I'm writing now ah, okay uh, 
No, the book, the book, uh, so I'll tell you a little bit about it. book five. Book six will be a divisive storm. Okay. Although, as I say, it could be a little confusing because I have a prequel called Storm Warnings. Um, so um, book five is a special storm. And what happens in a special storm is, uh, is this, a performance of a troupe of young people who are singers and uh, doing a performance in front of an audience. Uh, they're a troop of young people with special needs, and they are backing one of their own, who is a beloved singer, uh, a brilliant singer, who happens to have cerebral palsy, uh, named Julian Lockhart. So, And he's singing a, a particular song, and as he gets to the high point, the... the, the uh, the apex of the song, he pauses and a crack is heard and blood starts to spurt out of his neck and he falls to the stage. Uh, pandemonium and panic ensue and the boy's father hires Geller Investigations, which is where um, Dora and Missy work, uh, to find out, to find his son's killer. So we ask ourselves who would kill this beautiful and talented boy, young man with special needs who has the voice of an angel. So, that, so that's what's going on in book five. And we meet a bunch of young people who have special needs. And, um, you know, as I say, I, I have issues that come up, all sorts of issues that come up in, in all of my books. And in this book, I, I, it's an, the issue of people with special needs and who's going to care for them after their parents are gone. Uh, is, is something that's important in my life. I, my brother, Matt, uh, has a daughter, my niece, Zoe, uh, who has special needs, and she needs care around the clock. She's 24, and she's a, a little, little girl. She's about the size of a 10-year-old, I would say, and she will need care forever. Uh, she doesn't walk. She can walk a bit with the aid of a device. Um, she doesn't speak. She does can't see to her physical needs at all. And she'll need care forever. So what will happen to her when my brother's gone after, you know, my family are gone? And and that's an issue that's important in my life and, and in my family's life. So that comes up in the book. Also, um, in, in terms of when we think about people with special needs, you know, we may tend to look at them or some people may tend to look at them with pity and say, you know, look at that poor person and think of them as less. And I don't think them think of them that way. In a way, and 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 I say this in the book. I have characters who who point this out. Maybe they're more, because who has my niece Zoe ever hurt? Who she's never called anyone a bad name. She's never hurt anybody's feelings. She she listens to music and she laughs. That's what she does. And and she can laugh for three or four hours. She can just find something funny. We don't know what it is. She'll just start laughing and her whole body is shaking and she's laughing and laughing and laughing for hours. And pretty soon we're all laughing. So um, I, I do have scenes where there's a group of people with special needs in the book and they're just, my intent with these scenes is that they're just delightful. They're just wonderful people to be around. Uh, they're cheerful and they're happy. Uh, sometimes they're not so cheerful, happy, but mo for the most part, they are. And they don't hurt anybody. And, and so that's one of the things I try to point out in the book. And of course, who would want to kill one of them is uh, 
is also an issue in the book and 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 that that this person who is behind this murder it's just got to be an awful person to want to hurt these blameless people who who are just doing their best to stay alive yeah definitely i think with with people who are um disabled in some respect and those that are maybe more simple they have a level of um uh, sort of love for life that that non people don't um you know it's very difficult to put your finger on as to why that might be but dostoevsky said something similar that you know a lot of people have great sadness with life because they know too much or they're too aware of things whereas when you're quite simple in nature as you said you can laugh for three or four hours um and i think that's that's something that's very endearing uh, to those people how long do you feel that this Dora series will go on for? Have you got a, a, an end date in mind or is it a case of going indefinitely? And then a, a spin-off to question to that as well is that you're not just known for your Dora series. You have got other books as well. So if you'd like to talk a little bit about those as well after you've um, sort of summarised when you expect the Dora series to end, if at all. Yeah, I, I, I plan to write quite a few more Dora books. Um, I like the fact that people are doing read through, which is mean they which means they read the first book. By the way, book one is called Not Today and uh, Doro Ellison Mystery Book One, and it's free. You go to Amazon and you can get download the book. Just get the book. And um, my hope is that people will read this book and uh, want to read book two and book three and book four. And they're all very inexpensive anyway. There are $3.99 uh, in the U.S. Uh, I don't know how what that is with quid, but it's, it's somewhere in that ballpark. It's it's a low number. Um, so I plan to write quite a few more. And I plan also to write a spinoff series about a, um, Adam Geller, who owns the Geller Investigations um company he he's the owner he has the private investigator license dora and missy don't and they need to work under someone who does have the license and so adam does and he's a guy who's a, very close to my demographic and has gone through some of the things that i've gone through in terms of health and um he goes through them with humor and and he laughs at his frailties and um, I think that would be somewhat of a humorous series. You know, um, there are some mystery authors. Harlan Coben is an example who write uh, separate mystery series and make them humorous. He writes Harlan and um, and his friend and and they solve mysteries and those are humorous mysteries. Uh, so I plan to write more Dora Ellison mysteries. I hope to write this a, uh, Adam Geller mystery series, uh, and we'll see what the characters say about continue, continuing them. Um, yes, I do write other books, and my book, The Neighborhood, uh, as I was saying at the beginning of our talk, uh, came out in November, November 23rd or 24th uh was when the neighborhood came out and it's about racism and it's about the town i grew up in and it was written up in in several of the local newspapers uh the newspapers in the towns that i talk about uh thought they would you know write a little bit about the book um i'm also writing a book called percival i'm writing that now my father 
it's it's more or less about my father. My father's gone now, but he uh, had polio at the age of two. And he was extremely handicapped and disabled much of his life. They used to, you know, they didn't use the phrase physically challenged when when he was growing up. They said uh, crippled. And, and it's really not a very nice term nowadays. Say, oh, he's a cripple. Uh, people don't speak that way unless they're not being nice. Uh, but he overcame really a very difficult challenge. And he had many, many surgeries growing up. They were paid for by a, a, a U.S. charity called the March of Dimes, who I'm a big fan of. And um, he became a musician. He, they were very, very poor. He lived in a uh, a very poor section of Brooklyn, New York called Bedford Stuyvesant, which is known as a uh, not a very nice place to live. And um, his mother somehow scraped together money to give all the kids, there were five kids, to give them music lessons. And four of them became really fine musicians. And my father was was one of them. So I'm writing a book about uh, essentially about my father. It's fiction, and it's his name was was Lawrence, but this is about Percival. Uh, and I had to make it fiction because I don't, I don't, I can't presume to know everything about uh, what my father was thinking and what his family did when he was young. There's a lot of facts that I don't have, so I'm making a lot of it up, and I'm doing the best I can to keep it close to his life. But it's a tribute, really, to my father, uh, who was really quite a man. And he passed on his love of music, of course, to myself and to my brother and sister. Uh, all of us are musicians and singers and uh, and so forth. So so um, those are the books I've written. I wrote also a, a book called How to Be Happy in Your Marriage, which is uh, a roadmap to uh, having gratitude for our partners. And uh, I'd be happy to talk about any of those in any way that strikes your fancy. Sounds to me like you've got a lot of books that are all very different to an extent how do you how do you remember all the characters all the character traits um because you've obviously named a lot of different characters over the conversation so far how do you keep memory of that is it just because you've written so deeply about these characters that it's ingrained within you or is it something that you have to revisit sometimes to keep on top of things great question so it's a combination of things i, I keep a lot of notes um, I, each book has a different folder on my computer. I use computers and I have been for many years. And, um, I keep notes that are two sets of notes for each book. One is, uh, my story notes, um, and the other is character notes. So, so in one, I use a three act structure, um, where we have something called the inciting incident, which is the thing that gets the ball ro rolling. Uh, in my mysteries, it's usually the murder. It, it's always the murder. You know, some, there's a murder in the first 10 pages or so of the book. And hopefully that grabs the reader and keeps them reading. And so I have one set of notes that's all about what happens in the book. And then I have uh, and 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 has the peaks and the valleys of the the uh, um, 
the three-act structure, the arcs and the tensions and the, um, I think cliffhangers are very important, you know, leading the reader in one direction and having a reversal and going in the other direction. All that stuff's very important. And I keep track of that with a set of notes in each book about the story. And then I have a separate set of notes that's all about characters. Now, I already know Dora pretty well and I already know Missy pretty well. uh, and so in my notes, I'll have what's going on with them in this book. So I have Dora in, in a divisive storm I'm writing now is dealing with the trauma of what happened at the end of the previous book, of book five. You know, she 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 was in a real tough fight at the end of book five and it's affecting her. She's having nightmares. She can't sleep. It's very upsetting. And, you know, many of us have these kinds of things, these bombs that go off in our lives Uh and so I have that uh, in my notes and my character notes. And then I also have what's going on with all these other characters. And I have uh, maybe separately, I have lists of some of the other characters. So I have, I keep very copious notes uh, uh, for all the books. And then I have separate little notes for ideas for books that I have for the future that I may or may not get to you know if i will have to see if i live long enough i'd like to get to some of these other books i have an idea for a science fiction book maybe i'll write it maybe i won't you know i don't know but uh i i keep notes and i i keep track of the characters and what's going on with them and then i and then you know what i i have i have all of this and i look at it i sit down in in front of my computer in the morning in the afternoon and then i go off and i do whatever i'm doing during the day you know, or I might work out, I might be on an exercise bike. Currently, I'm rehabbing from a hip replacement. I had my hip replaced in December. And while I'm doing the rest of my uh, life, the ideas will come to me as to what to do next. You know, it came to me, you know, I I play music gigs for uh, at restaurants and for seniors. And uh, in in November and December, when I was in the run up to my hip replacement, I couldn't drive to these places. I couldn't carry my equipment. So I hired a young man uh, of Chinese ancestry. uh, His family is from Taiwan. Uh, Wonderful young man to help me. I went on Craigslist and I I put an ad saying, I'm looking for someone to be a roadie. And he, he has a business. He has plenty of money, but he was a very kind and generous guy, actually religious, a Christian religious guy. Uh, to a degree, just a fantastic guy who helped me through um, uh, driving around and getting me to gigs. Well, that idea kind of came together with my notes from my books to he had some things going on in his life. And and I took those or my subconscious took those and wove some of his issues into maybe I shouldn't say this. He could see this and sue me, but I don't think he would. But um uh, into the story of book six, I have something going on. Missy happens to ha- have a Chinese background and uh, some things going on in her life that came to me from this gentleman. And so just things I run into, I things I see in the news will just show up in some form in, in the way that they do for many of us in dreams. You know, things show up in dreams that are kind of you know, uh, twisted aspects of reality. And they show up in my books that way too. And I can't really account for how that happens or why. It might be some coping mechanism for me. I don't know what it is, but but, um, 
bit of a roundabout answer to your question. I hope that's okay. Yeah, it's amazing though, isn't it? How things work out. You know, you speak to a person, they get you in touch with a person or an idea comes from something, etc. Um, and even dreams, as you said, I, I tend to have lucid dreams every night um, before I get up in the morning where I know I'm dreaming and I can do certain things. Um, and which is which is good. But I also, as you said, get dreams that help you to get answers and insights in, into things in your own life. Like, for example, yourself, you've got a very long uh, and detailed process for your book, for your characters, etc. How long does it typically take you to write a book? So, for example, for me, my first book, it took me about a year to write, um, breaking it down into maybe a page a day, something along those lines, to ensure it's finished. What about for yourself? What's your sort of process and how long does it take? Because you've obviously written a lot of books already, um, so it must be a fairly swift process now. Um, so what does that look like, uh, David? A fabulous question, because that's changed a lot for me. So there, there are three books that I wrote that I haven't really talked about at all um, um, that I wrote around two th- the year 2000, uh, 2004, uh, in that period from 2000, 1999 to about 2005 or so, I wrote three books and each of those books took a year. Okay. Uh, one was a nonfiction book that was published by a university press in the U.S., uh, called Pilgrimage from, from Darkness, which was about a, a Christian man who grew up in Germany, Nazi Germany, and was in the Hitler Youth and was in the Luftwaffe, a real guy, and um, eventually became, um, eventually lived in Israel and married a Holocaust survivor. So it's a crazy book, uh, but it took a tremendous amount of research, and that book took at least a year to write and then quite some time to edit. A lot of research. Um, and two other books also. One was a mystery that um, involving AIDS, uh, which is out of date now because uh, it, it, when I wrote the book, AIDS was a death sentence and it's not a death sentence now. I know several people who have HIV and they're HIV positive and they're living with it. They're not dying from it. Uh, and another book about my uncle's experiences during World War II, which on the cover of which is a picture of him with Chairman Mao. I'm sorry. Um, so each of those books took a year. Yes, yeah, sounds so sounds same as me then, about about twelve months. Well, hang on. So so that was then. So what what changed for me is that um, about two years ago, I decided to start writing mysteries again. Um, I slowed down my day job, which is I run a marketing company, and I, I went into semi retirement, and I started to look around for an agent. And I'm in a bunch of Facebook groups for successful authors. And quite a few people in those groups are independent authors who publish their own, who write and publish their own books. They hire their own editors. They do the whole thing themselves and they're doing quite well. So I started to, I began asking them questions. How are you doing this? And they said, well, the, the, the there's a bunch of things that they do, but the biggest thing, the biggest um factor in success is to write a series of books with a lot of books in the series and then you can get people to re- read the first book perhaps for free which is what i do and and you get read through and they read through the series but you've got to write a lot of books and these people were writing four or five books a year four or five books a year and i thought well that's just crazy so i started down that road and i 
began writing my mysteries. Well, I published my book one in on my mother's birthday, September 14th of 2021. And here we are, January of 2023, and I have book five plus a prequel. So really six books have come out. So it, now it takes me about three and a half months to try a book. Very different, much faster. And I don't know how I'm able to write them so fast, but they just sort of, you know, you know what it is. Um, you've probably heard this. Writing is very much like working out. Um, it's, it's you're working a muscle and the muscle gets stronger and you get better at it if you keep doing it. Um, I was a competitive weightlifter in the 1980s. One of my sons is a competitive weightlifter now. If you work at it and you keep at it and you develop a routine and you come up with the best practices and, you know, the best training methods you can and you look at who's doing what and, and what the successful people are doing, you can do it too. I think people can do just about anything. 100%. 100%. And streamlining processes and getting better at things increases that time as well, wouldn't as you said, I've noticed that with my own life, not just in book writing, but with everything, the more you do, the better you get. Then you plateau and then you obviously get up to the next level as well. So um, so in, we've talked a lot about your books and your character, et cetera, uh, characters rather, and the challenges they've overcome. What about in your own life? Uh, you talked about a few health uh, um, uh, challenges over the course of today as well. Um, so what major challenges have you overcome in your own life and how do you think that's developed you as an individual, David? Well, the way it's developed me as an individual is that I'm still alive. I, I'm just, you know, I've had a crazy four or five years. Um, uh, so I had um, drug and alcohol problems as a young person from, you know, from the early 70s to the early 90s. I was high the whole time. And um, finally, I hit bottom. Uh, one day I was taking care of my new little son who was two years old in 1992 or 1991. He was born in 1990. I was taking care of my son and he got hurt. I was high and he got hurt. And that was it for me. It was over. Um, and I couldn't really stop on my own, but I became willing to do anything to stop. And I think that's what um, the programs that help people with addiction and alcoholism uh, really need. People, someone who's really willing to do anything. And, and I got involved in um, in the sort of programs that help people get clean and sober. And, and I have been clean and sober for almost 29 years. Uh, so that was very challenging, but it's also been incredibly rewarding. It set me on a road toward spirituality and toward be believing in a higher power uh, that I call God. I've, I've come to believe in God and, and I'm a big fan of God. And I have that, and I have that argument, you know, Missy and, and Dora are going to be talking in book six about God and how can there be a God? It's crazy. You know, look at how can you have Hitler? How can you have God? So I have that as a question that's discussed. Uh, but in the last few years, I've had a whole bunch of surgeries, um, you know, I had, uh, it started small. Each one's gotten worse. I had four years ago, I had trigger finger surgery. One of my fingers stayed like, you know, stayed uh, closed. If I make a fist, all my fingers would open, you know, when I opened the fist, except one of them wouldn't open. And um, I'm, I'm a piano player, so I can't have that. And I had to have surgery for that. And then uh, a few months later, I had a double hernia. And then I needed a hip replacement uh, two and a half years ago. 
And then I started, I was playing piano at a steak and sushi joint out on in Southampton, Long Island, a fancy place. And I started to have trouble playing piano and I started to stumble when I walked. And I went to see a doctor who said, you need spinal surgery and you need it soon because you're going to be paralyzed. And uh, that was just awful. And I had spinal surgery and they did fix that. But three days, I mean, this is just insane. Three days later, I got violently sick and started throwing up like for distance, like exorcist throwing up. And um, I went to the emergency and they said, you have air in your intestines and you need to have a piece of your intestines cut out. It's called an abdominal resection and you need it right now. And you might wake up with a bag, a colostomy bag. And that's exactly what happened. And I did wake up with a colostomy bag and that was not fun at all. Uh, luckily, they were able to fix that three months later in January of 20. 21. So I had spinal surgery October 8th of 2020. And then October 12th to 13th, I had this abdominal thing uh, where I needed another major, major surgery three days later. And then I had to have that fixed in January. And um, then I needed another hip replacement in April of last year, 2022. But listen to this, Five days before the hip replacement in last April, I get a call from my doctor. He says, you got to cancel your hip replacement. You have cancer. And I just was like, oh. And I kind of would look up and I was like, God, what did I do? I'll f what, what did I do wrong? Tell me. I'll fix it. I'll change. Uh, um, anyway, I had to, it, was, it was prostate cancer, which is very treatable. And I went to immediately went to the best cancer hospital that I know of, which is Sloan Kettering in New York City. Uh, as I, with the hip or the spinal, I also went to the best hospital I could find, a very well-known hospital here called the Hospital for Special Surgery. So I went to the best and and um, I'm, I'm thankful that we have the kind of insurance here that we do. I'm now I'm on Medicare and I can go anywhere. Um, so I had the cancer treated. I had radiation in uh, September and October of last year. And then I had the other hip replacement that I was waiting for December 7th. And now, God willing, I hope to be okay for a while. I'm going to have my first blood test post-cancer uh, actually on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday. And I am praying for a good result. And I expect a good result because I went to great doctors and the cancer is very treatable. So, um, I'm I'm hoping for smooth sailing, but I have a lot of material for my characters to suffer through now because I'm going to give these things to my poor characters who who are going to suffer at at the hands of my pen or my computer. I was going to say that literally that you could write a book about about that in terms of oh we, we've overcome this hill this 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 injury and then three days later I've got an equally bad injury to overcome. And psychologically, that must have been been really hard for you. Um, in terms of the the drug addiction, etc., I think it's sometimes we need someone to be responsible for in order to give us that accountability that makes us change our decisions and opinions. Like you'll you'll see a lot of the time where single individuals, uh, drinking drugs, uh, uh, prostitution, etc. But as soon as they have kids, everything changes because they're like, well you know i'm responsible for this child now do i want these behaviors to to uh to be instilled on the child etc and it's sometimes that is what it takes like you said you know with your, with your son it took that to change change your job your, your behavior um god wise i think 
there's definitely a creator. I didn't always believe that when I was younger, but if we look at even scientifically, there's the universe, there's the stars, there's planets, there's nature, there's DNA. You know, we have limbs and brains and uh, hearts and hips that and intestines, yeah, that all have um, jobs to do. And it's like a design, isn't it? It's like a car and a house. It has a design. So I'm a strong believer that, that there is a design and, and, you know, we are self-replicating individuals, you know, different species, et cetera. Like Ricky Gervais once said that, the you know, humans invented the dog from obviously a wolf, but we didn't invent a dog. We, we sort of bred a dog to be the domestic animal it is today. We didn't create yeah. it from the ground up with, oh, you know, writing the DNA code, genetic code. We are, you know, we can, we can control nature to some extent, but, who created the nature in the first place? You know, where did water come from? The sun, etc. So, so yeah, I think as you get older, unless you are someone who is not very conscious as a, as a, as a being, you you tend to increase your uh, belief in, as you said, a higher power, the creator, the universe, God. You know, which of whichever of those words you um, find best placed, really, um, as, as you as you sort of develop. Um, so one final question then uh, before I let you sort of summarise where people can find you, et cetera, is what one part other than your health then <laughs> of your life would you want to improve? Um, and then we'll ask a secondary question from that. What you say other than my health. So my health is 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 a big one. Um, but my, my spirituality, I think it, it you know, I don't want to come off as someone who is tremendously religious because I'm not. Um you know, you mentioned uh, you, you said something that's so spot on. And and uh, I'm I'm married to a scientist. My wife is a scientist. That's her job. She's a senior project scientist at an engineering company. And um, people, at least in the U.S. and possibly worldwide, might tend to think that scientists don't believe in God and that that uh, the, the notion of God isn't very scientific. Well, my wife, who's just, uh, you know, I have a wonderful marriage uh, of 36 years. It'll be 36 years this year. Her view is that she does believe in God. And and as you say, and as you alluded to, nature, astronomy, the flowers, you know, animals is evidence of God. It's evidence of God. And I love that. And so I want to, I would like, I hope, to deepen my spirituality. One, one thing... One of the reasons I think that we many of us come to believe more in something spiritual, in some kind of it, it doesn't have, you know, my father spelled God Mozart. He loved music, and music is what helped him to dif transcend difficulty. He didn't think of God, you know, he didn't think that way. But um, I think one of the challenges as we get older, yes, we might tend to believe more in something because we have loved ones. You know, my, uh, you know, I, I really learned what love is when I started to have children. I have two grown sons and I, I love them with a love that I never knew I was capable of. So that's one of the reasons that we may tend to, to believe more in God. But also, I think as we get older, we get closer to death. And, and we might tend to be a little more afraid. I certainly am. I'm concerned about dying. And, and, and part of that is I've been close to death a bunch of times. And, you know, um, and my belief in, in a higher power or God, and I, 
I use the word God, uh, really has showed up for me at, at uh, very opportune times. When they threw me in an ambulance and said, we're sending you to have your intestines cut up, in the ambulance, all I could think of, it was surrender to God. This is all in God's hands. Surrender, 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 surrender. Give up the fight. It's all in God's hands. And I said that to the doctor when the surgeon came in. I, I, I said, I have faith that God is going to take care of you and you're going to take care of me. And he said, 100%. He was a terrific guy. Who do, he's a, He was a Haitian surgeon who goes to Haiti and does all these surgeries for free in Haiti. He's just a magnificent man. But listen, on some level, all of my stories are about love, about transcendence, about God on some level, it's, it's very different for different people, about hope, about overcoming challenges in modern society and the issues that we face, things that are in the news and not in the news. Yeah, Life. absolutely. I think that, as you, as you said, science does prove God. You know, if you look at um, gravity, 9.81 newton meters square, there's other constants. And what science really does is it uses trial and error and experiments to find constants in the universe and say, okay, well, the orbit around the sun is this, the diameter of the earth is this. And the more science actually uh, understands and finds out, including quantum physics, so the particle slits experiment, quantum entanglement, the more it actually gives, as you said, gives evidence of God. You know, Pete, we are now understanding like law of attraction and all those and thoughts of things because there are things within the space. You know, there is not just visible light, there's infrared, there's ultraviolet. And we only know that they are real because when we put the remote to the TV, the TV turns on. But there's actually a ray there. And without science, actually, to deduce and find out these things exist, we wouldn't know they exist. But it proves, really, for me, that, that God exists. You mentioned death as well. For me, I, I would say that I'm not necessarily scared of death to an extent, because I think there's really two deaths, not like, um, what's his name, John Donoher says, where we were dead before we were born and dead after we were born in a slightly different context. I think we have two deaths in the way that obviously once we're dead, there's a second death in terms of when people forget we ever existed. So Jesus, Muhammad Ali, um, uh, J.K. Rowling, all of these people, when they're dead, they will leave a legacy that that person will be remembered. You, you know, John Smith down the road probably isn't going to have that second death. As soon as he's dead, his friends might remember him and family for a year or two. And once they've dead, they've died, that's it. His legacy doesn't pass on. So I would probably say that my fear is more about not leaving a lasting legacy. And look, not everyone can leave a legacy, but it would be nice to leave something where, you know, you feel you made a huge impact on, on the world. Um, so I think that's for me is is is. I'd like to say something about that. We So to me, what you're talking about is love. We live, I, I, yes, it's true, in books and movies, but I think books and movies are transient. But love is not. And I, I believe that the person I loved the most before I had children and before I met my wife, none of which was my idea, I had no interest in getting married or having children, God did that for me, I guess, was my grandmother. And my grandmother lit, was the most wonderful, loving person I, ever for me. And she lives on in the way that you're talking about. She lives in my heart. 
I did I did a painting of her. Um, she lives in the heart of all of her grandchildren and and their children. You know, my children know about how wonderful my grandma was. And so in that way, that's um, a way that she does not die. She's been she her, physically she was gone in 1980, but she will live in my heart forever. I celebrate her birthday every year, November 29th. My first date with my wife was on November 29th of 1985. And it's a date that's very important to me. But I, I'd like if I can tell you one more quick thing. I know where time is very short, but um, when, when you talk about God, um, well, something I think science hasn't figured out a lot. There's a lot science has not figured out. And one thing science has not figured out was what exactly is the spark of consciousness, self-awareness. Science hasn't figured that out. We can say synapses in the brain, and blah, but we haven't really dissected it. And given that we are conscious and we are self-aware, is it not possible that there is a greater awareness that goes on between us and even beyond us? Because science hasn't figured out consciousness Maybe there's more about, con I think there is much more about consciousness, and that's where we start talking about God. And I, I think that it is very scientific, and science has just not figured out how to measure it with experiments yet. Yeah, I mean, we do know that, though, really, inherently in, uh, through intuition. We don't need to necessarily prove that on paper, because, you know, even before gravity was proven... It that it existed it still existed didn't it so i think that when you walk into a room you know we get a vibe don't we we can feel tension in a room um we get ideas and where do these ideas come from because if we look at ourselves like a radar like an antenna are we creating these ideas ourselves or are we picking up on the ideas that are around in the ether because you know you all know yourself and i spoke to someone about this the other day you you will have an idea and a week later you'll see it on tv You'll That's see, right. You'll see that someone else came up with the idea and we're like, right. so was everyone receiving this idea? And depending on how you acted, yeah, would determine the results. Um, I've had that hundreds of times. So for me, we are conscious beings, as you said, but we are picking up on stuff, I, I feel, as opposed to, you know, creating stuff uh, to, to, to some degree. Um, because where That's did right. that come from? as you said does that come from the synapses from you know your amygdala all this all this stuff or is it something that we're receiving um from like electrical magnetic um um waves or or well you know God, i've read i recently i read a year or two ago that certain inventions came about and were invented simultaneously and completely yeah. you know different sides of the world, you know, in Russia and in the UK or in the US, completely separately, yeah. no connection to one another. You know, these things were sort of in the air and showed up, you know, and I think another way that spirituality is very measurable is it's been proven, and I've experienced it myself, but it's been proven, I think, scientifically, that prayer works. Yeah, well, well what, what, what they say is intuition is, uh, is God speaking to you. You know, when you get an intuition about something and prayer is you speaking to God. Um, yeah. That's what I've heard. And I think that's a really good way to to try and think about it. You know, you're trying to tap into this consciousness. And when you get intuition, it's your consciousness saying, look, something's not right. You know, your hair stand on end again. Are they antennas, um, etc.? So so I, I do think there's a lot more to this world than, than one, we're being told and two, that we know. Um, because, again, if you look through history, a lot of information was destroyed. And there were things that in history 
people knew about that maybe we don't know as much today. And yes, they try and leave it through books, you know, as you spoke about leaving a legacy. But if language is lost in that time frame, the translation is lost in that time frame, the actual artifacts are destroyed even minutely, the message doesn't get passed on exactly the same. So even the pyramids, we still don't know to this day how they were how they were built exactly. Um so 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 yeah, it's about leaving a message and trying to uh, transcend uh time really in terms of um the the information that we're trying to put forward um essentially so so if you want to tell it just sort of to just to, to somewhat really where uh, uh the listeners can find your books um where they can find a bit more about you and how they can get in touch with you essentially yes thank you um first of all i i answer all of my emails uh myself in person i answer every email uh, assuming i see it so um I can be reached and my books can be found and information about me can be found at davidefeldman.com. And my mysteries are there. My other books are there. And um, I have a mailing list of, of, I don't know, about 1,500 people that I send newsletters to quite often. I recommend other books, other authors. And uh, I'd love to hear from people. I love interacting with people, talking, uh, uh, sharing pictures of our dogs and, and what have and what music we love and what books we love. So I love interacting with people. And I, I think it's just wonderful. And and and, and Jeevan, I really appreciate this opportunity and have had a wonderful time talking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much, David. And one thing I would I would just add to, to what you said there is, look, his first David's first book, Dora series is free. So even if you go on, you have a look at it and you don't like it, you know, there's no, you've not invested any, any, any money. So get on there, have a look at the book from, from what David said today. Fantastic. Loads of red herrings there. It's going to keep you intrigued. So, so get on there um, and, and at least have a look at the first book. Um, and yeah, looking forward to, to, to a new one that's coming out soon. And hopefully for for listeners who are already uh, um, uh, fans of yours and um, something they've long awaited. So, so yeah. Thanks so much. I hope everyone enjoys the books and I look forward to connecting soon. Thank you very much again, David.